inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a new episode of Time to Shine. Our guest today is Jacqueline Farrington. She has over 20 years' experience as a change maker, empowering leaders and their teams to spark transformation and innovation through communications. Known for her refreshingly direct, yet supportive and science-backed approach, Jacqueline works with senior and board-level leaders as a founder and president of Farrington Partners. She blends her experience in the performing arts, vocal pedagogy, communications, psychology, and organizational and executive coaching to help her clients find unique communication solutions around challenges such as digital transformations, organizational cultural change, the great resignation, or engaging in conversations on social justice. Hello, Jacqueline. Hello, Oscar. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure having you, Jacqueline. So please, to get started, we want to hear a bit about you. So what was your journey to become a speaker? Yes. Well, I started my career in my 20s as a professional actress. So I'm a classically trained actress. I, I did three years of study in that and worked as a professional actress in New York for about 10 years. And then while I was acting, I also started teaching at the Yale School of Drama, and I did that for about 14 years, and also started growing into teaching at the School of Management and the Law School at Yale. I went back to school, got a, another master's degree in communication, and left Yale in 2005 to start a, a consulting business. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. 10 years uh, as an actress. Uh, well, sounds, sounds really fascinating. I, actually, I, I'm, I'm sure that only fr- from that we can have a full interview in interesting things about that. Uh, yeah. But now, uh, fast forward to the, to the year 2023, you have recently published one book. It's called The Non-Obvious Guide to Better Presentations how to present like a pro virtually or in person. First of all, congratulations for releasing your book. Thank you. And of course, we want to hear more about that. But please first tell us, what was your motivation behind that book? So why did you write this book? Well, it was a bit of a banal reason to to begin with. It was the (laughs) pandemic and many of my clients were scrambling to pivot to virtual presentations. And the Idea Press, which is the the publisher of the Non-Obvious Guides, reached out to me and said, you know, there's really nothing out there on virtual presentations. Would would you write something on that? So it, that's what I started to do. That was the, the primary focus. And then as I was writing it, I thought, you know, this is actually a good guide for my clients, because I I work with a lot of leaders who have to stand up in front of groups and communicate change and motivate people to to change and inspire them to keep going when the change gets tough. 
And then, of course, to reward and celebrate the change when, when people deliver on it. And so I thought, this is a, a good guide to give to my clients where I can I share it with them and ask them to read a chapter if there's something in particular they need to focus on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, of course, at the time of the, the pandemic, there was uh, a big switch from uh, virtual presentation being something not so common or something I would say many professionals took it not very seriously. I mean, this is easy to to do it all the time, which there were very new challenges. So that was the beginning of uh, the motivation of writing your book. But then you, it sounds like you took more time to do a much more comprehensive book. So that was ultimately your, how you um, accomplished this book. I did, yes. And when I did the first draft, I Chris came back to me and said, this is really more of a, a broader topic. And so I think rather than only focusing on virtual presentations, there's an opportunity to broaden this out to presentations and communications in, in general, because there's a, a lot in the book that you could apply to team meetings or even one-on-one -on -one communication. Mm -hmm. Indeed, we, we have learned a lot in these last years to, to use the virtual presentation combined with the uh, physical presentation. And now the, the fact that many of us are off, uh, working remotely, so it's it's already a um, quite, quite different world in that sense. Um, so please share now with us some of the highlights of this book. Sure. Well, the, the book uses acting principles. Be because I was an actor and I taught actors for uh, over a decade, it blends the principles of, of acting to help each person be a performer in their presentation. And, and really, it's important to think about presentations as performances. I, I say that it's an elevated form of communication. It's not like sitting around the, the dinner table after dinner with a glass of wine with a group of good friends and, and shouting the, the evening away. It's elevated, meaning that it's more focused it requires more commitment from us in terms of voice and, and body and even mind and emotional approach. So because it requires that elevated commitment, it also requires that elevated preparation. And that's really what the, the book takes people through is the idea of how do I prepare this performance, my background, what I wear, how I use my voice, how I use my body language, storytelling, structuring my presentation. How do I rehearse effectively? Because often people think of rehearsal as sometimes just reading aloud, and there's so much more to rehearsal than that. How do I connect with my audience? How do I be an inclusive presenter? What do I do when things don't go the way they, they're meant to go? Which frequently happens. In fact, you can almost guarantee if you're speaking a lot that that something is going to happen that you didn't expect. So how do I prepare for that and handle it when it when it happens? So that's an overview of the book and tapping into acting principles that actors know and, and use and have known and used for, for years to create a successful performance. Mm -hmm. 
if you can tell us just to imagine the how to call it, the skeleton of the book you you mentioned acting principles how you call it in the in this more leadership or business oriented uh, communication so can you tell us a bit just this your your those those principles you ma you mentioned that are related to to acting can you i'm not sure exactly what you're asking can you rephrase that ah sure my question is if because you mentioned these um, principles from acting apply mm -hmm. to to the to communication so are they some um, main so for instance is your book structured in this is one one principle one second principle third principle something like that no but but I, as i said in my previous response it it takes you through the journey of preparation if you think of of this like a preparation for a play it takes you through that journey so how do i approach my my script how do i approach rehearsals how do i approach the way that i use my body the way that i use my voice so it doesn't necessarily take you through principle one, principle two, principle three, but it it does take you through that journey of rehearsal that actors go through to get a play up and running. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. It's more like a journey, like a process. Excellent. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I I browse a few part of your your book. Uh, ah, it's it's nicely. It's also quite a lot of visual. Also, I like that pretty nicely illustrated and everything so uh, good job to you and your uh, anybody the team the illustrators everybody who was involved this is very nice nice book uh, uh Jacqueline in um in this in this podcast there is one uh, one theme that we have not discussed earlier it's a one of um, diversity equity inclusion and it's a theme that many people talk today and not not only People are talking, only also people are acting into this very important uh, theme. So, is in one way your book addressing that when you mention that the when you mention an inclusive presentation? It certainly has a section that looks at how do we better connect with our audiences, how do we create inclusion in in our presentations. And and that's important because as audience become audiences become more diverse, speakers can often inadvertently become exclusionary, and they, and they don't necessarily mean to, but they can do things. For example, like changing someone's name. I, I have this happen to me all the time. My name is Jacqueline, but often it's, it's more happens in the United States for some reason. But often in the United States, people will, when they meet me, immediately switch to the diminutive Jackie. And that's not my name. I've, I've not ever gone by Jackie. It, it's just not my name. And, and so that's a way that a speaker can become non-inclusive by not using someone's preferred name. And so, yes, there is a section in the book that looks at how do we be a little more intentional in creating an inclusive environment when we're speaking. Mm -hmm. And could you, could you give us some, uh, yeah, some 
tactical advice on that, some how to how to create a more inclusive presentation? Sure. So I, I mentioned Nate. It's important to check with people and ask them what what is their preferred name. Don't don't assume that they like a, a certain nickname. Another thing that speakers can do is to tap into the collective expertise of the audience. So ask the group a question about your topic and encourage people to share their expertise around it, not just their technical expertise. A way that you can get people's expertise into the conversation is to ask individuals to share their experience around your topic. And that's a way of recognizing other people in the group. It's a way of raising their their status, their sense of well-being, and gets them to engage in the conversation. But along with that, it's important to have multiple ways of engaging with the conversation. So we often think of inclusion as just focusing on gender or, or race, ethnicity, or religion, sexual orientation. But it's important when we think about inclusion to to also consider thinking styles, communication styles, decision-making styles. And so when we're presenting, offering a wide variety of ways to engage in the in the conversation is important because not everyone is comfortable speaking up in, in a meeting, whether it's in person or, or virtual. Um, so, for example, if, if you're in an in-person meeting, you might ask people to just consider individually uh, a question and then write things on a, on a post-it note and put it on a board or pass it forward to, to you to, to read out anonymously. Or if you're in the, a virtual setting, you can ask people to share with you as the speaker anonymously in the chat. Or you can run a, a virtual whiteboard and and create content that is anonymous so that people can can put post-it notes up there without their their names attached to it. So thinking about how do we reach both introverted communicators as well as extroverted communicators? And that that's important to bring all of those options into the conversation. Yeah, indeed, this is a this is a very good point. Um, so, how act as a facilitator, also not only uh, the speaker, the performer who goes and just talks about whichever topic it is, but as you said, is uh, uh, understanding the yeah the the styles of people. How some people, for some people, it's going to be very hard that even though you try your best, you're super friendly. Uh, super inclusive in the, let's say, in a talk, in a workshop, trying to make them talk. Uh, for some people, it's still like that. It's going to be super difficult and maybe it's uh, not the best things to do, right? And that they speak in front of the group. Uh, so that's, that last uh, last point is, is super good. And you had said earlier uh, that when, when, as a speaker, I share my stories, uh, about a specific topic, so I'm the expert because I'm going there and I'm, I'm talking about this. But it's, I like what you said that it's good that give the opportunity for the others in the audience to also share their experience, right? Says their stories on that topic. Yes, yeah, it, 
getting creating kind of that shared meaning around your your topic that that creates a sense of belonging and connectiveness if you if you can hear the shared shared meaning and experiences from from the group it's also i i like to uh, when i'm when i'm speaking or doing a workshop even if i have quote unquote the right answers i like to get the the audience to think about what are the answers to the these questions and then i fill in what they come up with 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 my content or my research and and so getting people to own some of the the solutions is a, an important way again to create that inclusion so even if you are the expert standing up there sharing your expertise getting people to use their brains and contribute to that conversation and then you just fill in the blanks with uh with your information mm -hmm. yeah i think that's definitely good uh, good advice um now you know that you have mentioned earlier the the rehearsing part um and as some fr in front of a actress for 10 years and also you have been teaching acting so i definitely had to ask you what would be can let's say top two or three pieces of advice for rehearsing yes this is one of my favorite topics so thank you for for asking about this <laughs> it's one of the things that's most important <clears throat> in rehearsal is to think about physical emotional rehearsal working towards internalizing content not memorizing it and by that i mean that when we memorize that tends to be an activity that we do by rote we we memorize a telephone number so and we repeat it to ourselves several times so we can go and just quickly make that telephone make that telephone call internalizing means that we attach meaning to the content we attach movement to the content we think about which words am i emphasizing and why and how am i emphasizing them how do i use my body language how do i use my voice to emphasize those key words that carry meaning or emotion to our audience and when we internalize our presentation then it brings it alive for the audience you can always see someone who has memorized their their presentation and it's almost like they can see their script in their brain and as they're speaking they're kind of reading their script out loud and it it creates this sense of like slinging content at, at the audience it's like a having a, a meal at a diner and they come up and they throw your meal on the table and then they walk off so it creates this sense of talking at your audience rather than talking with them and the wonderful thing about internalizing a presentation is that it commits all of these decisions we have to make when when we're speaking where do i stand how do i use my hands i mentioned earlier wh which words am i emphasizing how am i emphasizing them when do i move my slides forward i could keep going with a bunch of questions that we need to answer in rehearsal and through rehearsal 
if we're thinking about those things when we're standing out on stage, the the day of the the presentation, that creates cognitive overload for our brains. It's just way too much to think about. And so that then means it creates a, a block between us really connecting with our audience, really being present, uh, connecting with our, our content. And part of rehearsal and internalizing all of those things is that it moves them to what we call long-term memory. It moves it to the, the unconscious part of our brains so that we don't have to think about that stuff the day that we're speaking. And instead, we can focus on connecting our content to our audience and maybe switching things up based on how it's going. Maybe something really resonates with with an audience and something doesn't. So maybe we want to spend a little more time on that part that resonates with the audience. We're often, we're scheduled to speak and we've been told you have 30 minutes and right before we go out, we're told, oh, it's, it's running behind. So you need to cut your presentation down to 20 minutes. Well, because we've internalized that presentation and we know it so well, we know that we can start it at a different place and still get to where we need to get to with the the end of the presentation. So internalizing, standing up, speaking, moving, experimenting with moving, thinking about how am I trying to make my audience feel when I say this? Which words do I need to emphasize to make my audience feel that way? How do I emphasize these words? Answering all those questions long before we actually stand up and perform the presentation is is really crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent advice. Thank you, Jacqueline. Could you now share with us what is your favorite quotation? Yes. Mm. I actually have this one above my desk to to remind me of the fact that we're all human. We all make mistakes. This is from the the late Carrie Fisher, American actress, who many know as Princess Leah in the original Star Wars movies in, in the 1970s. A lot of people don't know that she was also a prolific writer and very funny, wise writer. And she once said, the only exercise I get lately is running off at the mouth and jumping to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that because I think that we we all do that from time to time in communications. We We say things we don't mean and we jump to conclusions and assumptions about what the other person's intent is. And that's a part of being human. Communications is not a fixed science. It's It has science to it, absolutely. It's also a, an art form, and it is a lifelong learning. So it's okay to make mistakes. If you think about, we were talking earlier about inclusion, you're going to make mistakes. You're not always going to be the most inclusive speaker or leader, but it's so important to learn from those mistakes and adapt, adjust our, our behavior going forward and remind yourself that you're human. So I love that. Yeah, yeah. We all are learning, absolutely. Jacqueline, could you now recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential for you? 
Well, <laughs> one book is always tough to to choose. I what what I will say, I keep a couple of books of poetry by my bedside and I read poetry before I go to bed every night. And the reason for that, I I love poetry because it helps us become better communicators. Poetry distills an idea or a moment, an experience or an emotion down to the core meaning. And because of that, it, it helps us be more succinct, more vibrant communicators. And so I always try to read a little bit of, of poetry. Two of my favorite poets are Seamus Heaney, a, an Irish poet, and E.E. E. Cummings, um, an early, well, I should say early to mid 20th century uh, poet, American poet. And I love E.E. E. Cummings because he plays with syntax and he plays with with punctuation. And so it's a bit of a mind puzzle reading it. But so I have both of their collected works next to my bed at night and I try to read one every night. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's great that you remind us to, to read to read poetry. Most of us don't do it often and I have to do it more often as well. Yeah. And to try writing some as well. Just write a haiku. And it really helps you think about what's the meaning here? What's the experience? What's the emotion? Ay, ay, ay. You are giving us a challenge. <laughs> I am indeed. I'd love to hear how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take the challenge, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Write some poetry. Finally, share with us an exercise, something practical that you would recommend us to do it regularly. A routine to shine. Yes, an important routine that I use and, and I recommend all my clients use is to think about your offstage moment. And by that, I mean that when actors are rehearsing a play, they don't just rehearse what happens in, in each scene in the play, what happens on stage with those words. They also rehearse what happens in the moments before they walk on to the stage to start the scene that you see as the audience member, because they know that if they rehearse what happens before they walk on, that then creates the, the truth, the reality of the moment and what they need to create in the moment on the stage in front of the audience. So think about what's my offstage moment before I walk on to start my presentation and manage those first 30 seconds, one minute before you walk onto stage, what do you need to be thinking that will help you create the presence you need to create when you come out onto the stage? Not thinking about what you don't need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. For example, are you sitting there thinking, oh, I hope I don't forget my words. Yeah. Oh, I hope I don't screw up. If you do, that's going to create an offstage moment that's not going to be helpful to you when you walk out on to the stage. Instead, if you're thinking, I am focused, I'm calm, I can hear the audience, I can feel their energy, they're really excited to be here, or whatever emotional world you need to bring in, emotional reality you need to bring into the first few moments of your presentation. So manage your offstage moments. Hmm. 
Excellent. Yes, I like very much this conversation with you. A lot of these analogies and tactical advice related to acting has been quite fascinating hearing all this from you. So please let us know how we can learn more about you, uh, find you on the net. What are the best ways for that? Best way is LinkedIn, Jacqueline Farrington. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and you can also visit our website, farringtonpartners.com. Excellent. Again, it was a pleasure talking with you, Jacqueline, and all the best. Oscar, thank you so much for having me on. It was really a pleasure as well. My pleasure. Are you working on the tech industry? If so, do you want to start taking action, crafting your own tech talk, and soon getting booked to speak? I have designed specially for you who work in the technology industry an online training program. Rock the Tech Stage On Demand is an online self-paced training course to become a successful speaker in tech events. Visit today www.rockthetechstage.com slash on demand and start your journey now.